Hello, is this working? There we go. All right. Uh, welcome to Hiawatha Church. Um, so, as a an elder who doesn't preach all the time, uh, I, was, I was expecting an offering song, and then I was, so I was a little, that's why there's a little bit of a delay. So it's good to see you all here this morning, uh, and welcome to, to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris Thompson. I am uh, the other pastor, Chris, up here, um, and one of the elders at Hiawatha. Uh, and during the summer, we often get a chance to uh, preach, and this month, kind of especially, there'll be like six six pastors, six different pastors in six weeks, and the month of July kind of can be called like the non-vocational elder month here at Hiawatha. We had Caleb last week, I'm this week, and then um, uh, Jesse's next week, and Eric Miller is uh, the week after. So excited to do that, get that opportunity. Um, And since this is only about once a year, I'd like to take a little bit of time uh, to introduce myself. I know that um, in a year's time, some ways it seems like it's just a blip. Other ways, uh, and a lot of you are new or visiting. So give a little introduction to myself and um, to my family. Uh, Let's see if I got, there we go. Uh, And so... This is us here this summer in Yosemite Park. Um, I am a science teacher by uh, kind of day job, so this is my, my time off in the, uh, in the year. And I teach chemistry, physics, biology, things like that. Uh, and I resisted the, the attempt to put some science into the sermon, so I think you'll be free of that here today. Uh, my lovely wife, Sarah, uh, there, she is a grant writer and a project manager in various things locally and internationally. Uh, my son, Luke, there, is on the left. Uh, my daughter, Eloise, is in the middle, and my daughter, Kate, there, uh, next to me. And we got a chance to go see Yosemite Park, uh, amongst other things, in California this summer. We love spending time together and visiting new places, and uh, I would highly recommend we've never been there before if you've never been out uh, to that part of the country and ever get a chance to, um, I mean, the picture does not even do it any way half justice. It looks almost like it's photoshopped, uh, but it's pretty great. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Free Solo about the guy who climbs the, the largest rock face in the world? That is that face right there, El Capitan. And we did not do that, but um, we, <laughs> we went close to it and we saw it. So I feel like we kind of vicariously did a little bit of that. But no, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, we love that kind of stuff, and, and um, that's a bit of them. Uh, we've been part of Hiawatha since uh, the beginning of this uh, church. We were part of the plant back in 2006 uh, that came from Hope Community Church downtown. And uh, we, it really has been an enormous blessing to be a part of that in, in many and various ways throughout that time. And to get a chance with you this morning to open up God's Word and to uh, learn from it here today. So before we do that, let's pray uh, here as we begin. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, the love you offer to us, for the chance we get to learn and hear from your word. Um, God, the the word uh, made flesh through your son. And so I pray that uh, as we look at this passage in John today and and reflect upon the work um, you did in the blind man's eyes, you'd help us to see uh, more of who you are and uh, the spiritual healing you offer us on the cross. I thank you for this time and bless uh, these, these words to you and this church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, in the last couple of weeks, we've, we've been in John. Uh, I was kind of looking through this, and we're not, I thought initially we were like halfway through, but we're not. We're like at chapter 6 of uh, about uh, 19 or 20. So we're a third of the way through the book. Um, and our passage today is really a part two. If you weren't here last week, Caleb um, uh, went through the actual healing of the blind man. Um, but so if that is our, uh, the miracle we're, we're looking at today and the second part of it, there really has been um, kind of our six miraculous signs you, that sometimes are pointed to that we've looked at in John thus far. So we have uh, water into wine, very famous story of, of Jesus, kind of his first um, public display of who he was and uh, a little bit of reluctance there um, to start. Uh, he says in John 2, 4, my hour is not yet come. So uh, he knew that once that began, his ministry that ultimately led him to the cross would begin. And we read about that. Uh, so that's his first miraculous sign. Um, the healing of an official son in John 4, uh, where uh, someone asks him um, with a you know, mustard seed of faith asked to heal his son and he does that. 
Um, he heals the sick and disabled at Beth- Bethesda uh, where, uh, in John 5, um, and we'll kind of reference that a couple times here. Uh, also feeds the 5,000, um, another famous parable of where people are hungry, they've li- listened to him speak, and they don't have any food. And his disciples say, what are we going to do with this crowd of people? They're going to start to get angry. And uh, he feeds them uh, miraculously and, and multiplies the loaves and fishes. Um, he walks on water in John 6, and uh, then in uh, John 9 earlier uh, from last week, we see that he heals a man born blind. Now, there's other events in John, obviously, but um, all these things have happened in a way that is going from kind of this initial sign that uh, was his first public ministry to now it, there's really not any escaping what has been going on, and word is, is progressing around uh, Judea and around the Jewish people. Uh, and so we, we start to see the response from people in, uh, in his area. So we've got the religious leaders, we've got his, his growing disciples, uh, just people on the periphery, and they've, they've already had some responses that we've read about so far. Um, so we've, we've read about uh, some things that the religious leaders uh, want to not only push back against this man, because they're uh, scared what he represents, um, and some, some I'm sure think he really is uh, a false prophet, um, but they want to arrest him or stone him. We've already seen that, that he's had to escape uh, different attempts on his life thus far uh, for his blasphemy, for saying things already like, I, I am, like using phrases to describe himself as God. So he's already uh, faced a lot of that. But not only do the religious rulers have some, some pushback against him and some, some response, but his disciples. So um, some of them have heard what he said a few weeks ago. He says in John 6, 66, um, uh, or in, in the section of John, he looks at and says, uh, you have to, to be saved, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And uh, that, I mean, taken by itself, like we, we look at that and that, that is a, on itself seems like a strange statement. And many of his disciples who had followed him to that point left. In 66, it says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. And then in John 7, we see that his own family uh, doesn't really want much to do with him. Uh, It says that he would like to avoid the controversy of this this growing following that he has and the attention he's drawing. Um, We also see some of the crowd um, that uh, kind of uh, you might have missed in the the witnesses of his um, uh, looking at his miracles, that some of them want to install him as a king. Uh, like as a physical and, um, and political ruler at the time. So we see a lot of responses looking at what's going on. This, so this, this miracle is not just plucked out of the blue. This is in a, a series of things. We're already at this point. The tensions are, and, and the tension is growing. And uh, we now have this last miracle here of a man being born blind. So ordinary people, influential leaders have already seen and heard about this man. And now they have another controversy to kind of deal with and to, uh, to, get, to get to. So let's read about that with that intro in, uh, in John 9. Uh, we'll go through the whole thing right now, 9, 13 through 41. It says this, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. So for the second time, they, they, uh, sorry, the Jews did not believe he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he is born blind. 
But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? That he op- How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you were his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is this, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So before getting to each section of this, uh, kind of the four areas I want to look at, I want to uh, look at brief, just briefly a nature of the Gospels after hearing that exchange, that they're both theologically true and factually true. Like they're, we oftentimes divide this up here in the, the, um, the human and the divine aspect, and they're both present uh, really all throughout the Gospels, but we I just in these conversations especially jump out at us. So if you read this, it, this does not read like a myth or a legend. It reads like it is a conversation between people who are in this, this conflict and this thing that happened. And they're, it's, it's a, not like an official courtroom, but basically is that way where the, they're asking these types of questions. Um, one that, that always jumps to mind in this is, uh, is C.S. Lewis, who just had a, a knack for, for getting at some of these things of we're really not allowed to kind of go in this middle ground. And he, uh, he was <clears throat> kind of a famous uh, apologetic um, Christian that, that came to faith later in life. And he was a, a, a professor of linguists and and ancient myth and legend. I'm not quite sure his title, Um, but he wrote this. He says, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legend and myths all of my life. I know what they are like. I know none of them are like this. Of this gospel text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage or else some unknown ancient writer without predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. Basically saying that, that this type of thing didn't exist. Like now you can go and you can go to Barnes & Noble and find hundreds of books that have dialogue between characters. You can go to a movie and see uh, this, you know, these aren't real people, but they're, they're having this, this story and they're interacting in a way that we, we try to think is realistic. That didn't exist in literature in first century, uh, the first century. It just and it took many, many hundreds of years before that ever came about at all. So um, you, you can 
to say it's a myth is kind of ignoring that fact. And I really like to remember that because there is this, there's kind of the both and. Like there is a, there is a big theological things being told to us in this passage. And there's also a, an actual man who was born blind and lived that way for decades and then was healed and has this interaction with these very powerful people at the time. And so th- those things together, I think, help us to get a, a lens through which to see, uh, to see this, this passage. And so I want to look at this in four, uh, four sections, kind of four um, angles on it and, and people, and to see what we can glean from them, really um, in a way that we can see how Jesus moves in and through uh, himself and people around him, uh, not only in the story, but for us uh, today. And so kind of the four um, angles, uh, first the, the crowd and the neighbors that I'll kind of refer to as the they, the, the they pronoun in the first part of the, uh, the passage. And then we will look to the newly healed blind man and his testimony, it's the largest chunk of that interaction uh, with them. And then the, the returning, these are all point one apparently, uh, the returning is uh, Jesus' pursuit of the blind man uh, where he, he goes after him again. So there's this big exchange, a lot of things happening, and then Jesus returns to him. Um, and then the Pharisees and their kind of final parting words that he has for them uh, kind of bringing that lens back again. So the surrounding witnesses, the blind man's testimony, Jesus' pursuit and the parting words for the Pharisees. Um, and so just in the, the first part there, in verse 13, it says, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Um, that's the, uh, the verse there. And I think it's worth looking at the kind of the periphery of this narrative. Um, and that earlier in verse 8, these are described as being the neighbors to the, be- to the beggar. Um, and even more broadly, these are people that have have been part of this bigger narrative and kind of seeing probably not everything, um, but have been hearing about it. Uh, maybe they were part of one of these miracles or they, they heard from a, uh, a cousin or a neighbor or something like that. There's been, uh, there's been talk. And so they have, they, they're seeing this um, out here. So they've seen some of these events and they were honestly just curious to get to the truth of what is, is going on. Um, and so they're asking obvious questions uh, in something that seems unbelievable. Um, and so... So their witnesses, their neighbors, um, they want to know more. Uh, sometimes, like, I, I like watching sports and hearing things about it and being a Minnesota fan, this, is, this doesn't always work out well. But sometimes I'll have, uh, my students will say something like, did you really, do you see last night that, um, I can't remember who it was, I think it was Beasley, set the, the NBA record for consecutive three-pointers made in a game. And I like playing basketball, and I like Minnesota sports. Those things don't always go together. And so I'm like, uh, I don't really believe you. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that that happened. And sure enough, I look up, and I look to try to find out and verify online and watch a video. Like, sure enough, you know, he made 13 out of 13. Like, it seemed incredible, so incredible that it seemed unbelievable. So it, it's in, in a much, obviously, more important way. That these people that are seeing this thing and have heard about it, like, yeah, that guy was always there blind, and now uh, he says he's healed, or somebody else is saying that. Like, what is going on? So the central question of who Jesus is is the primary focus of this book and ultimately the whole Bible. So these Jews would have known about the prophesied Messiah and the past work of God through his prophets and are genuinely seeking to better understand what their response should be. Like, how should they, it, what should their view be of this thing? I mean, um, again, on a much grander scale, if somebody came now and, and proclaimed things that seemed unbelievable and yet connected to, uh, to your life, you, you want to know, like, what should I think of this? Just kind of dismiss them or have to, to wrestle with it. So it makes perfect sense they want to take him to the authorities um, in, this, uh, in, in their life. And so while we don't see again in this particular passage these characters, I think we can at least infer that they are present or will hear of the interaction that is to follow. Um, so if you're here today regarding uh, questions on Jesus and the church and the Bible, um, 
this is part of why this is here. Like that, that's part of where you are in the story. It's like looking on the outside saying, I've, I've heard some things about this uh, and I, I'm not quite sure what to think of it. Like that is where you can read yourself one of the places in the story today. Just like these neighbors, they saw something and wanted to know more. Like you're here for a reason. God has put some things in front of you. Like ask questions about it. Don't just ignore it and just leave it be. Um, because it's too too seemingly crazy to kind of leave alone. Like you have to, to deal with something with it. And so I'd encourage you uh, in the following uh, to hear that as well. So then we get to the testimony of the blind man himself. Um, just re- rereading that first, um, that first part uh, of it here. So the next and largest chunk of the, the narrative concentrates on this series of back and forth questions. And uh, as we do that again and kind of break it apart, I want you to look at what is the, um, the, the change in the blind man as he speaks in this this narrative. Like, what, what happens to him as he is responding to this uh, interrogation? So just uh, reading that little section here. Now it is the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my, put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. So in this, this section, we see again a common refrain challenging the authority and work of Jesus and uh, that by the religious rulers, the Pharisees um, at the time. The text mentions that it didn't in the first part that this healing was done on the Sabbath. And so their initial response was not really about the healing itself, but kind of um, it wasn't done right. Like, it wasn't done the right way. So, kind of ignoring that, hey, this guy might actually have been healed, but like, it didn't do it right. Even if he did, uh, he broke the rules. On John 5, 16, we see a similar situation with a man healed uh, from, uh, from being crippled at Bethesda. Um, it's kind of like um, if you're walking by somewhere, like let's say I'm going by a public pool or you are, and, and you look and see somebody is drowning and it's like 11 o'clock at night and you, you know, break down the gates and run in there and you save their life and you pull them out of the water and you, you know, you call, uh, call the police or call ambulance or whatever and they, they come over and um, they like, thank you for it. But then they're like, uh, you get a ticket and you're getting arrested because you broke into the pool and you went in after hours. Like it just doesn't, it, it doesn't really make sense. Like why, like you, that may be true. Like there may be this, you shouldn't go into a pool after 11, whatever the time, but it doesn't really make sense in the context of what actually happened. Like this person was going to die and I saved them and they're focusing on that. So that this is kind of that interaction. Um, in fact, what they're referencing in the Old Testament is um, this kind of extra laws that were surrounding um, the Sabbath law of, of keeping the Sabbath holy and not working. And so there, there's 39 different types of very specific things you can and cannot do on the Sabbath uh, to be considered that you're not working. And one of them is the kneading of bread uh, and making bread. And so many think that's kind of what they were referencing, like by putting, uh, by putting mud and like making that mud, it was kind of like kneading bread. And so therefore it was breaking uh, the Sabbath. And so this is definitely like a, a level of nitpicking that is, uh, I, I think is kind of ridiculous in some ways. And yet there, there's a very real thing that Jesus wanted to do intentionally with doing things on the Sabbath. Like this is not, it's not by accident, it just didn't happen to be on the Sabbath day, is that uh, in Matthew 12 and, and other places all throughout the Gospels, uh, Jesus refers to himself as being the Lord of the Sabbath. And so um, they, have, they have lost the, the detail, or they've lost the big picture in the detail, 
And uh, we see this is, this is what Jesus wanted to do, was to, to kind of poke holes in and to bring up things that were uh, stumbling blocks. And uh, the law was a stumbling block. Um, the law actually does not save, the law condemns, and Jesus wanted to bring up as many things as he could to help get at this. And so there is, there is kind of the both and, like it is very nitpicky, but it's also, it is true that Jesus was trying to do things um, to show and demonstrate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so as uh, in earlier we see that there is a willing blindness of the Pharisees. And yet there are some in this group that are, we might call, reasonable, um, who push back against this kind of um, idea. So how can a sinner, uh, they say, one who is breaking Jewish law, do such a miracle? In verse 16. Um, it, this is kind of encouraging, I think, to see, is that there are, there are some, even amidst this hostile crowd that has continually gone after Jesus, that are uh, going and recognizing that there are some inconsistencies with what they are doing. Um, we saw earlier uh, Nicodemus in John 3 um, and John 7. Remember the, the first party, he meets Jesus and he asks him at, kind of at night, we think is to be a bit secretive and to not, uh, not alert his, his questions, really trying to find out more of Jesus. I encourage you to go check out uh, that sermon and previous ones if you missed that, but it's really good. Um, he's in this kind of outside, like he knows he shouldn't be, but he, he has legitimate questions, and so they have a, a great exchange there. And then in John 7, um, he also brings up the fact as they're going to arrest Jesus, that he kind of brings up that, hey, we have, we have rules for this. We can't just kind of take this guy away and put him in a secret prison and like ignore him. Like we, there's, a, there's a manner in which we do these things. And and so um, we don't hear Nicodemus's name in this, in this passage, but uh, he was a Pharisee. So there are some that are bringing up these difficulties. Again, uh, saying, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? Like they're, they're seeing that tension. That are, they're leaving open the possibility of Jesus' divinity uh, and, and um, uh, to the rest of the crowd, where it could have been just been that he was taken away and they never heard anything else. So even amidst the hostility, God is working to show the truth and to turn people to him. And so this turns back to the blind man in uh, him to explain, what do you say about him? And now we see in the man, man's response a, a shift. So in verse uh, 11, so from last week, when the crowds are asking him this question, he says, this man spit in the, the ground and made mud and put it in my eyes. And he uses the word man, which is true. Jesus uh, was and is a man. Um, but he now says something different or additional. Jesus is a prophet in verse 17. Um, and so there is a shift going on. Uh, in giving or being forced to give this kind of testimony back and forth, um, he's already moving into a fuller view of who Jesus is. Um, and he's going from a man into being a prophet. So who are the prophets? These are Old Testament men and women who had been um, called by God to give messages. Oftentimes those messages were not well received we see that again in, further in the life of Jesus. His messages are frequently not well received by the, the crowds and those around him leading to his death. Um, but these are people that are revered in Jewish history. So Isaiah, Jonah, David, Moses, like these are people that are, are uh, that he's now putting Jesus in this category as being a prophet. So this now, the, the man has already been physically healed and now his spiritual eyes are starting to, con are continuing to open up to see more of who Jesus is. Now, it's interesting in this, so kind of in the human angle of this discussion, that now the Pharisees have been confronted with this. They have this exchange. Um, they don't come after the man again right away. Like, I mean, I think there's something to read in there that their, their argument, their, their side of things has not gone maybe what they had planned. And so uh, then we, they, they take a different tactic. Uh, in verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son? Who you say was born blind, how then does he now see? 
His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Um, and so we, we see their line of attack then is now to his parents. So uh, he, he has given a, a testimony at this point that if it were, you know, would have blown up in his face and been a lie and, and just been deceiving, like it would have been easy to stop. But they're like, they don't have that. So they bring in his parents, kind of see this escalating, like what is going on. <clears throat> and they use some fear to intimidate. Um, so he didn't actually believe he was being born blind. He was a strong, uh, strong witness. And he was a witness that wasn't really necessarily eloquent, but he was just straightforward and pointed out what God had done. So in going after the parents, they are trying to go further at uh, the aspect of his story. And they are kind of in a bind because they are, they're, they're caught between, like they want to tell the truth in this place, um, but they also, as it mentioned in the text, they, they recognize that if they say the wrong things um, or take in the wrong way, they can be essentially excommunicated, kicked out of the temple. And this, you know, I think we, we lose sight of this, uh, what this means, uh, meant in that, in that time. Uh, I mean, hopefully you're never uh, kicked out of the church, but if you are, whether you agree with it or not, you can go down the road and find you know, a dozen churches within a mile of this church, probably more than that, right? You can go somewhere else and be in a church. Um, that is not the case. Like, this was the center of religious life, and really, ultimately, it was a symbol of there, there was no possibility of salvation. Um, and oftentimes, that this, this physical um, kind of excommunication from church it was accompanied by an execution and stoning. Like, it was that serious. And so, um, this is not something to be taken lightly. So, they're, they're in a bind. And I, I, so, I, I think that there's kind of, a, there is a fear element for sure. It mentions that, that they are fearful of what might happen uh, in their response. But I think that there's also in their response, um, it, and uh, maybe a very human response to say, I'm, I'm going to do as say as little as I can, but be truthful about it. And I, and I think that there's, there's that little bit of that tension that we can, we can take from and, and see in there too. So they stick to what they know. Like, yes, he's our son. We know that. Like, uh, we can testify 100%. This is our son. Uh, we've known him our whole life. Um, he was indeed born blind. Like, you can ask, I mean, they didn't, but you could, this is like so many testimony accounts in the, the Gospels. You can talk to people who are alive, like the witnesses, his neighbors. Like, wasn't that the guy that was blind and begging by the gate? Like, Yes, he was born blind, we, we know this, and now he sees. Now, in that they say, like, I don't know now how he sees, and they, they kind of push it back to him, but they're answering honestly uh, for what they know. So now we start to see that there is a frustration beginning to mount um, because they don't really like what they hear. They're trying to discredit and isolate Jesus from the people he's reaching and keep themselves the center of this religious life, and they're failing. Uh, nobody can now deny the healing of this man, due to both his testimony and his parents' testimony. So when there's zeal to crush this, again, this has happened again, but to crush this, uh, this work and to crush the work of Jesus, they have actually made it kind of more attention to it. Like now more people are looking and saying like, oh, hey, what, what is going on here? And look, this isn't just some weird story that I, I really don't know if I believe, but now like I actually have this witness. We have like a pretty good case for this guy being blind and now being healed. And so you, you'd like to think, you know, maybe like a little mini happy ending is like, and then the Pharisees turned and believed and repented and like 
Uh, unfortunately, we don't see that, right? We see that their, their questions don't stop, and actually they kind of double down on their, their deception. They continue to attempt to discredit him and to bring the man back again for now his, really his third round of questioning in um, the whole thing, first one with the neighbors and then two with them. So they, they have a new uh, line of attack on there in uh, 24 to 34. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. So we, we see like a definite shift in their conversation. I mean, you can maybe argue before they're like, trying to get at what's going on. You have a little bit of a conflict between the different groups and the Pharisees. And now it's like full on, what can we do to discredit this man and his testimony? So it's kind of their last ditch effort to tear this apart. And uh, we see that it utterly, utterly fails. Um, kind of gives, uh, starts off with this, like, I almost think of like a good cop, bad cop kind of thing, uh, where it's like trying to get him to, to kind of join their side a little bit and then to say something. So um, he says something that's good, right? Give glory to God. Yes, that's true. Um, but then they slip this in here. We know this man is a sinner. Like, kind of be straight with us. Like, we're, we're all Jews here together. Like, we, we get it. This guy is a sinner. Like, he maybe has fooled you. Um, and he, they're trying to trick him into saying something that, um, that is wrong and to denying what he had just said. Um, but his response here is, is so great. Like I, this is why it's the title of the sermon and why, like, as I read through this passage so many times, like this is, this is what, what to focus on. Like he says, whether he is a sinner, I don't know. So Jesus was not a sinner. He is the son of God, the only sinless person to have ever lived. Um, he, he recognized at this point in his, in his spiritual walk, like, I don't quite know. Like, I don't know all of that, but here's what I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. He points to something that actually has happened to him, that happened in history, that he knows and can anchor to. And now it's, it's worth looking at that to just recognize, I think, that if this was a, you know, on court TV or something like that, or we're watching this on, on Twitter or Facebook somewhere, like if you were watching this case, you would look and see like, all right, uh, the case is over. Like the, I think that the Pharisees are, you know, the, the worst. They don't, uh, their case was not made. Like this is the time in which it just jumps out at us that he has... Uh, uh, you know, by God's grace, really expose them for, for what's going on. And we see that in their, the subsequent um, responses in there. He sticks to what he knows for sure to be true. Amidst all that has been said, he knows that he was blind and Jesus found him and healed him. So then they go back to the original question. There's frustration setting in. How did he open your eyes? And it's now the third time he's been asked this particular question. And so you can kind of understand his frustration uh, in his response and gets a little sarcastic. You know, do you want to become his disciples? And obviously, this is too far for them. Like, now it's just kind of, uh, it's like a hostile witness situation. Like, they're, they're back and forth, and neither one is happy with the other one in this uh, exchange, which in and of itself is a pretty amazing thing, considering where he started from. Um, they, they first then get to, uh, to kind of ridicule him, um, 
but also to uh, discredit the blind man through um, lies. So they can't find any fault in his testimony, so they kind of lump him in with one of his disciples, which at, really at that point, there's no indication that he was. Like he is, he has just been healed and kind of immediately drawn into this whole scenario. He has not been following Jesus. Remember, he was just by the side of the road, by the gate, when Jesus saw him and had, um, had the, the conversation from last week. Um, and then, uh, in addition, they point out, um, and they kind of, they contrast that with the disciple of Jesus and Moses. And then he, they give some more lies. Uh, you don't know where he, where he comes from, um, which actually um, is not true. Earlier in John, we are reading uh, that they were talking about the fact that how could this man be the Messiah? He's from Galilee. Um, and then they, they didn't mention that he was also from Bethlehem as well. So there was already discussion about where he was from and whether you understood that or not, um, that, that's already been said. So they're kind of now just throwing out things that aren't even really true. Um, I, as a teacher, especially in the last couple of years, so many things that have been on COVID, we have online assignments. And um, this is, I just came, came to my mind, this is what I got a lot of, of like, we have different methods of turning things in and they send in a document or whatever. And uh, students will uh, sometimes be like, I, I know I put it up there, like I attached this document. I'm like, all right. And we kind of go through like, you know, here's, here's where it is and where I, I, you know, it's there, but there's nothing written. And then they're like, well, I, it was an earlier version that got erased. And so we kind of go through some things. And, uh, and, then, and then eventually it's like, uh, you know, something deleted it. And then at the very end, they'll say something like, um, I, I just, but I never really knew when it was due. And it was like totally, <laughs> totally different. And um, we all do this. I'm not picking up my students. It's just funny. It, was, it came to mind as like, this is kind of what they're doing. Like they're like just throwing whatever they can at this guy. Like you're not even from, like you can't be the Messiah or you must have been lying. Your parents are like, it's not sticking. Like this is, uh, there's a human element that's understandable to this, but um, that's why his testimony is so important. This, this conversation is so important. And so this, this formerly then blind man now responds to these ever-increasing um, responses with uh, really laying out a much more kind of thorough understanding of who Jesus is. So remember, he went from being a man to a prophet, um, but now he kind of lays this out in this progression here is that, um, I don't know, I was blind and now I see. I know this has never happened before in the history of the world. Uh, it's a miracle, a sinner couldn't do this. This man must be a sinless man from God and a prophet. Like, if you were kind of laying out some characteristics of who Jesus is, those are like some top, you know, top five characteristics of who he is. And he's gotten to that point in this conversation, in this pretty hostile conversation with the Pharisees. Um, they end then with this uh, last argument uh, saying that he's this statement, you are born in utter sin, which again is true, we're all born in sin. Uh, Psalms, uh, Psalms says that about, about all of human nature, but it's, they don't mean it in that sense. They mean it's like, yeah, you would talk to us, like you're born in utter sin by definition or by like implication, we are not. So it's kind of a, a quick little, you know, ad hominem, like attacking the person attack uh, to kind of cast him away and then actually sending him out of the temple. Their pride prevents them from recognizing what just happened and ultimately who Jesus is and they want to get him out of their sight and from their presence. Um, I think this exchange kind of gives us something about the power of testimony in the life of a believer and in the growth of the church uh, in that, that example then and, and also for now. And there's, um, you know, as I was kind of thinking this through a little bit, uh, when, when I, I, I left from a Christian college to a, a, a secular university in Wisconsin and like all this, the kind of stories that like in the church and even at my former, like my Christian school were like, you're going to go and there's going to be a lot of people that are really angry at Christians. And they were 100% 
true. Like, I, I, like literally right away, within the first couple of hours of living in my dorm, I had people who were like, Where'd you, what school did you come from? And, uh, oh, what's that school? And they found it was a Christian school, and their like, faces changed. And, and, but they, they had so many questions and conversations, some hostile, and I, I think that there's probably no, nothing in, my, uh, in God's like, bringing me through faith that has helped me more than those conversations. Because it, they'd ask hard things, and some of them I had to say, like, I don't, I don't know these things, but here's what I do know. And, uh, and it, it really does. It, it helped me get better at understanding what I, what I believe myself. And I think this is uh, something that um, through, and that's a really small-scale example, but like in the life of a believer, when you experience things that are trials and difficulties that you recount again, that's so important to help to, um, not only for ourselves to see and the growth in that, but, but in the church and to help others to see what Jesus has done. Um, in fact, in Revelation, uh, I think I have this one up here. Um, Revelation 12, there we go, um, 10 to 11, um, uh, we, we read this. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love their li- not their lives even unto death. So there, there's an element to where like the testimony, people speaking the words of what Christ has done for them um, is part of the way in which Satan is defeated. And you can kind of get a little microcosm of this here in this conversation. Like there is a, a spiritual element to the Pharisees uh, kind of pestering this man with questions. Um, like it's not just this conversation about power, although it is, it's, it's ultimately spiritual. And, and the spiritual, the man's testimony is a spiritual way in which th- those, those powers are being dismissed. As we read this now, and the people right there, those neighbors saw that, and that was, that was being revealed to them. Like there was, there was power being fought in that, uh, in that testimony. I think that's a really cool way that we can see um, uh, God doing that. But it doesn't just end um, with just this conversation for those around them and for the Pharisees and for even us reading it. But there is a, another very personal pursuit of Jesus to this man. Um, he uh, continues on afterwards. Uh, Kayla mentioned this last week, but like when he got down in the mud and, and healed this man's eyes, it was a very personal connection um, that, that uh, he talked uh, a lot about there. Um, and we see that kind of returning back to in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. And so there is this um, kind of this personal loving of Jesus and the corporate uh, love that he offers to all of us. And there, there we see both in display. And right now he's kind of going back into the, the personal um, relationship. Um, so he hears this man has been kicked out of the temple he knows that it's because of his testimony and because of the healing uh, that has been going on. And it becomes another place where he, Jesus personally invites somebody to believe by announcing loud and clear who he is. Spencer talked a few weeks ago about uh, different aspects of Jesus' character um, that uh, looks at in John 8. Um, and this time he uses this phrase, the Son of Man, a phrase used over 80 times in the gospel to talk about, um, to reference himself. And I didn't put this up here, but it's in Daniel 7. I'll just read those uh, couple of verses where uh, Daniel is, is having this vision. He, he sees this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son, the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and it was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so this, this is a, obviously a picture of something that's not yet come in Daniel. And now Jesus is saying, I am that one like the Son of Man. So another messianic prophecy that Jesus is saying, that this, this is me. This is, this is who you are talking to right here. The formerly blind man would have known this and asks, like, who are you talking about? Right? Jesus says, it's me. And then his response, he, uh, he believes and he worships. Um, in verse 37, Lord, I believe, and then he turns to worship. I don't think it's any accident that this conversion happens because he has not been spiritually, um, spiritually uh, unblinded uh, or spiritually healed until this moment. He had an extended conversation about his encounter with Jesus the few uh, hours beforehand. In fact, remember from last week in verse 3, when G- they, they walk along and they're, they're seeing uh, Actually, Jesus doesn't initiate the conversation. Um, the disciples do. And what's the question that they ask about the, the blind man? Anybody? I know this is like, got to give some good wait time. Anybody? What, who sinned, right? The, who's, what are the options? Parents or him? Like, what, what, who, did, who did that wrong? And his response, like in typical Jesus, like, is it A or B? Nope, it's choice C. All right, so choice C, uh, what, was the, what was the reason that Jesus then like, wanted, should she, like, they brought him up, and he said, no, that's not what happened. So that what? Yeah, it reveals the power of God, that the works of God may be displayed in him. Okay, so the, the question was, was what happened? Why was this done? No, so that the works of God may be displayed in him. It didn't end at the healing. Like, at Caleb's sermon last week, it wasn't done. There wasn't, like, a move on to the next story in John. Like, this is the work of God, that you believe in him that he has sent. And so, um, this physical healing grabs everyone's attention, right? The test, this extended testimony of the man further solidifying this miracle and like giving proof to it, right? This is like a courtroom drama playing out to say, no, this actually happened. This isn't just like, and then there was a man who was healed of blindness. And then there was that, like, this is an actual conversation, an actual work. Um, we see this elsewhere in uh, the work of the, the man that was, uh, his, it was crippled and his friends drop him through the roof. And in that case, the first thing that he does, another, you know, many offensive things that Jesus does uh, to, the, to the Pharisees, but he doesn't say, you are healed. He first says, your sins are forgiven. Like, that's the first thing he wants to deal with because it's the most important. In this case, he kind of flips it around saying, I've healed him, but that's not really the main thing. The main thing is what I'm doing now and that I'm displaying the work, this work that I I believe, and then he worshiped. We see a final response then from the Pharisees um, and their last interaction with them in uh, 39 to uh, the end of the section. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. There's a little bit of, I think, maybe some hidden humor in this uh, section. Notice that in verse 34, they were like, get out of here. You're, you know, born in utter sin. I don't want to hear you anymore because you really, you know, you've made your case. We look like fools, but like we want you out of the temple. Whether he was permanently kicked out or not, we don't, I don't think we really know. Um, but he's, they don't want any part of him. And now you have this interaction, this very personal connection with Jesus. He, he believes and they're kind of like, I don't know, if you ever had somebody that's kind of butted into a conversation they weren't invited to and they just kind of like peer their heads in and like start talking, you're like, what are you doing here? Like, this wasn't your conversation. And they're, they're there and they're just kind of all of a sudden like, well, 
we're not blind, right? Like, that's, that's, you're not talking about us. Um, and it's, I think that there's, there's a, an element where that, that we, we see that, um, that insertion, that kind of awkward insertion into this uh, that Jesus then uses to explain kind of the broader context of what's going on. It's a picture of what he's here to do. He wants to bring everyone to a point where they must answer the question of who am I? Who is Jesus? He is opening their eyes. He's either opening their eyes or those that have pridefully closed their eyes are being kept shut. This is what's behind their response. Are we also blind? Jesus recognized that at one point they may have been able to say they were blind to him in ignorance as the meaning of the Old Testament text or the progression of scripture. But now uh, through these and other encounters, they don't have any excuse. Okay? The time of ignorance is over and your guilt remains is a, is a, a link to that idea. Elsewhere in Romans 1 and in Acts uh, 17, we see Paul make similar arguments where, uh, that men are without excuse as to what God has done in the world. That God has shown it to them. So there's this broader context of purpose uh, to the entire miracle and this exchange to further show people again who is Jesus. Um, and he's kind of making what was murky clear. Um, I do, uh, in Acts 17... Yeah, I put this up here. Uh, this is a, kind of a, a famous interaction of Paul in Athens with some very intelligent people and talking about um, uh, the, the role of God in the world and, and gods in general. He says, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The, the he and the him there is referencing Jesus. So this is, so it, our story today, blind man is still pre-cross. Paul is now after the resurrection and he's pointing instead of to the, the, the uh, healed eyes, he's pointing to the resurrected body of Jesus and saying, this is the assurance that we have. We no longer are in times of ignorance. Like God is, has given us time. He's, he's, he's slow to anger and quick and abounding in love. And, and yet the time of ignorance has passed. And, and we see this kind of in that final interaction. They peek in, they're like, they still are curious. I mean, there's, there's I, I like to think in reading through this, there's a little bit of, there's some hope for some of the Pharisees, even amidst all of their consistent obfuscation of what's going on, that they, they still are drawn in enough to maybe, I mean, we don't know. We, a lot of that is, is left in the white spaces, but maybe uh, that, that ended up believing um, uh, at the end. So a couple just uh, final gospel um, kind of applications to this here at the end that I encourage you with uh, as we uh, wrap up here, is that first, um, like the neighbors and surrounding crowd, um, ask honest questions about Jesus. That, that, that is uh, fair and good. I, I think um, sometimes in the church we can be um, maybe scared of those things, um, but, but do that. Ask those things. There are hard questions. There are things that, that we wrestle with, and if, um, if you've never had some of those, I, I, would, I would say just um, be wary because there, there are times we all experience that are, that are going to be uh, challenging and that things are going to be put before us that we, like the blind men are going to say, I, I don't know about this, but here's what I do know. But then don't harden your hearts to God's response like the Pharisees. God has given us his son as the answer. Hebrews 1 states, those uh, long gone in many ways God spoke, but has now spoken through his son. These are his words to us. Believe in the one in whom he has sent. Believe that he has spiritually healed us by the blood of the cross, just like the blind man who was powerless to heal himself. Um, secondly, the blind man goes through a physical healing and then a spiritual one. Um, do we see like the blind man all that God has done for us and take the time to reflect on that in our lives? Ultimately and finally in his calling to us to follow him and the work done on the cross. Because it may seem really obvious that somebody who had their eyes healed um, 
and physically healed would then follow Jesus. But it wasn't until after that reflection and the time in that conversation with the Pharisees that then Jesus called him and he believed. So take time to reflect and see what God has done for you in the small daily graces, in big answers to prayer, uh, and most importantly, his work on the cross. As we every week talk about and we look at um, communion, that is what the, the key part of it. Jesus said to uh, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what he has done. And then also listen to the testimonies of the people here in this room, uh, in the body of believers, in your small group, uh, in um, our men's and women's events. Um, read about them. I mean, we've, we've got like an immense amount of resources uh, on this. But he saved us into a community, not by accident, because this is what helps sustain one another. Hearing this man's testimony from 2,000 years ago was intended by God to give his people, us, a tangible way to see and hear what he has done and to believe afresh. And finally, to know that you are pursued. Um, Jesus not only opens your eyes, but then calls after you and goes after you. He doesn't require that you have everything figured out, right? But through a testimony of this, of this formerly blind man in the passage, the very creation itself, as Paul says in Romans 1, the testimony of his people and ultimately, the testimony of the cross, he is calling to you. Do you believe in the Son of Man? That question was posed in the story as it is to us now. Believe in the one in whom he has sent and worship and praise him for all that he has done. We say this every week to remind all of us in this room, from elders to everyone else, uh, that our need for salvation by Jesus Christ is the central need that all of us have. It is a universal Capital U, capital U, like every person in the world throughout all of human history, that is true. Whether you believe it or not, it is true. Most of us uh, cannot really imagine what it's like to have like, a physically healed blindness. Um, but even that incredible work faded over time. The man ended up dying physically. Our core longing as creatures to made in his image is to be one with him. And it's only possible on the cross where Jesus died and took our sin. So whether it's for the first or the hundredth time, be encouraged that Jesus calls to you and our response and testimony can simply be, thank you, Jesus, I was blind, but now I can see. Let's pray.